Hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We're both property people running our own businesses and this podcast is just us chatting every week about the reality of anything and everything property. And due to the ability of pre-recording, Simon and I have both managed to have a few weeks off, which has been very nice. And as we were just talking pre-record button, it's straight back at it in the property world. But Simon, as we haven't seen each other for a few weeks, it'd be really good to catch up and talk about where we're at. Because uh, despite being on holidays, property world still keeps turning and property news still keeps coming out. But in terms of personal updates, I know that you were, uh, well, you are in the throes of purchasing a property, remortgaging. So uh, maybe we can start with that. We'll start with your updates on, on where everything's at. Yeah, certainly. I seem to be very busy with property stuff at the moment. I mean, I'm always very busy with, with something related to property with, with Patma and things. but. But actually, my own property portfolio seems to be, be keeping me quite busy at the moment. So, so yeah, lot, lot, lots to update on. Just before I get into that, speaking pre-record, you were saying you managed to, to read a, a ludicrous number of books while you were on holiday. So I think we should tease that at the end, we'll, we'll have a little tiny bit about, about books and, and you can, can suggest a book or two that you enjoyed reading while, while you're on holiday. <laughs> so we'll, we'll come to that later. So mortgages. I am currently arranging a mortgage for a new purchase and I'm either still or have just finished arranging three remortgages and a further borrowing. And further borrowing is new to me. I've not, not done that, that before. But I'll, I'll just sort of walk through the, the mortgages that, that I've been, been doing and, and sorting out. The simplest one was one where I've remortgaged a property from a fixed rate mortgage onto a new fixed rate mortgage with the same provider without changing any of the the borrowing characteristics. So I I haven't changed the amount I'm borrowing or or anything like that. The only thing that has changed is the rate, which of course has gone up, unfortunately. But I have have done this a few months before the rate is due to change. So I was able to, to get that locked in in actual fact, that rate was locked in two months ago now when the application process started. And then it, it obviously went through a few weeks to, to actually get finalized and approved by the mortgage company. But they did approve it. And that is now set to actually kick in in a, a few months from now. I think it's in November it's set to kick in. So it just, just shows that you can, can arrange these things in advance, assuming the mortgage company allows that, that period of of time and you can you can lock in those rates earlier so so since that's been arranged and locked in rates have gone up at least once maybe even twice so so it's worth worth doing worth doing that that as early as you can to get that sorted so that, that's a fairly boring one fairly simple next one which was slightly more interesting and this was a remortgage on a property in fact this is the, the first property that I, that I ever bought and Amazingly, it has had the same mortgage since I bought it. So I bought this as a residential property and I had a a residential mortgage as in owner-occupier mortgage rather than a a, a buy-to-let mortgage on it. And I checked with them that I could have lodgers and that that was fine. I did did that. And then when I moved out and turned it into a a buy-to-let property, again, I contacted my mortgage supplier and said, can I do this? And they at the time said, said, yep, that's fine. 
pay us 50 quid for a, a, a permission to to rent out thing. I can't remember the exact term. Consent to let. That's the one. Thank you. Uh, and so I did that. And and that's been sat there ever since. It was a, a tracker mortgage. Uh, I looked back through the records, actually. And uh, at, at the peak, I think I was paying something in the region of 7% interest on it over the years. But obviously, for the last few years, it's been been a lovely, super low rate of I don't know one and a half percent or something. Most recently, when the, the the rates were super super low, but the the mortgage term on that mortgage actually only had a few years left to run. I, I have I have had this property that long. It seems crazy to me, but anyway. So so I was going to have to do something about this soon, and with rates starting to increase, I thought, okay, this is probably the time to to do something about it and get it changed over to a proper buy-to-let mortgage and hopefully lock in a five-year rate before they, they go up too much. And, and that's what I've done. So I have changed it from a tracker mortgage and it is now a fixed rate mortgage for five years. And as part of that, I have changed the, the vendor. And as part of all of that process, the new mortgage is based on current valuation and current rent. And I've hence been able to to increase the borrowing on that property. So as part of that remortgage, the, the, the new lender has sent me some money, which is always very nice. And that will, will go into the, the coffers for the for the new purchase. So again, relatively straightforward, although there there was was some toing and froing with my mortgage broker and as as always they need a whole heap of proof for all sorts of things. Arranging the valuation took a, a little bit of uh, effort because you've got to coordinate between a number of different people, tenants and mortgage broker is sort of funneling all the information, but then the mortgage company issued it to the, the surveyor and then the surveyor's got to sort it out with the tenant. But anyway, it did happen. But the harder bit in this one was that because I've got relatively long-term tenants there, the EPC had expired and the the new mortgage lender said, we need a current EPC, or we're not going to lend on this. And this was something that myself and mortgage broker didn't pick up on particularly early in the process. So so this was sort of a, a bit of a, a curveball later on. They said, we need an EPC, we need it really quickly, or, or the, the offer's not going not gonna to last. And I was like, ah, okay. So, so yeah, so that was more toing and froing and back and forth with the tenants and an EPC provider and, and what have you to, to arrange that. And Crazily, that just getting that EPC scheduled in, and then the, the report back and back over to the mortgage broker took nearly three weeks. It's, everything just takes time because you've got so many moving parts to coordinate and fit together. And ah, oh. it is painful. And on the valuation, the, the, the interesting one. So I had a valuation for a further advance, and it happened on tenth of August. And I know it happened on tenth of August because I was I was in the area making sure that these things happen. And I'm, I, I make sure that I speak with the surveyors, one of whom I actually know who, who, who does the valuations on behalf of the banks. Anyway, it got confirmed and I phoned the, the valuers to confirm it happened. They, they said, yeah, we did it. It's all done. Because I actually just make sure that I speak with a letting agent. Say, did, did it all, you know, did someone come pick up the keys? Yeah, someone picked up the keys. Anyway, three days later, I get a text from the surveyor, surveyors and I phoned them just saying, um, I'm just getting a text for you about a survey. Oh, yes, we need to arrange a survey. Yeah, you did it three days ago. 
Uh, well, no, uh, no, I don't believe we did. But I think he did because someone picks up the keys. Anyway, after a, a bit of toing and froing, and then me saying, maybe speak with the manager, they came back and said, no, everything was fine. Sorry, we did that. Two, three weeks on, the bank are now asking me what, via the broker. The broker said, oh, do you know when the survey's booked in to happen? <laughs> yeah, it happened. It happened on the 10th of <laughs> August. That was now, well, you know, that was three weeks ago. So I've now got a disappearing survey that's happened. So I need to, to follow up on that. But I, I understand the pain, obviously, of, of the surveys and, and the EPCs. Everything just takes longer than you want it to. Yeah, yeah. My my survey stories get get worse with the next next one I'm going to talk about as well. So actually kind of, well, no, not, not, not quite the same as yours, but gets a bit more involved. So I'll, I'll carry on with that one then. So the, the next remortgage I've been doing, this was, uh, again, on a property I've had for, for quite a while. And again, it was on a tracker. And there were two reasons to move off the, the tracker on this one. The mortgage was going to end in the not too distant future, but, but it still had, still had quite a few years. So I was going to have to do something. And rates were increasing. So again, it seemed like a, a reasonable time to look at fixing. However, most significantly was I was wanting to extract some equity from this property as well. And my mortgage broker said that basically I can't do that on, on a tracker. The only way I was going to be able to, to do it and get a reasonable rate. I mean, there, there were other products around and I could have changed provider and things, but he they identified that the, the best value was going to be to stay with the current provider but remortgage the current borrowing from a tracker to a fixed rate, just as is, and then apply for a further borrowing from that provider to, to sort of make up the, the extra equity withdrawal, which was only possible once the, the main mortgage was on a fixed rate with this provider. So lot, lots of, again, requirements filtering through there, but they processed the, the whole thing sort of kind of together. The, the remortgage from tracker to fixed went through, well, there, there were valuations and things, which I'll come to in a moment, but that went through relatively quickly and was fairly straightforward. And then the further borrowing took a bit longer, sort of just for the mortgage company's processes and things after that to then, then come through. But that has now come through, or rather their, their offer for it has come through. I haven't got the money. They've sent me some more forms and some more paperwork yeah, and they're never going to send you the money without a few more <laughs> hurdles. It's never going to be that easy. No, quite. And once I filled in this this set of forms, that that should include details and things for them to be able to to release the the funds from the further borrowing. But I've, I've got a question for you actually on that, Stuart. So I'll come back to that in a moment. I'm just going to talk about the surveys. So the the survey for this one again, it's a tenanted property, so it needs to be arranged with the the tenants. So as part of this initial application process, I provided tenant details and contact information and things to the broker. And they obviously filed this and filled this in with the, the mortgage company. And then the mortgage company started trying to contact me to arrange the, the survey. Well, that's nice and all. I can't actually do that because I'm not the tenant. I'm not at the property. And <laughs> it seems silly for me to, to sit in the middle. And they said, oh, no, we, we've tried contacting the, the tenant as well, but we can't, can't get through to them. So then 
I have to go back to the tenant and say, have you had any contact? No, no, not had anything. And goodness knows where the communications were falling down. But somewhere along the lines, they were not managed to contact the tenants and they were not managed to arrange the, the survey. So having double-checked all of the contact details for the, the tenant, the name, the phone number, etc., the broker resubmitted this information to the, the mortgage lender who then forwarded on again to the surveying company. And then they retried and somehow magically they did manage to contact the tenant this time and arrange a, a viewing, sorry, not a viewing, a, a visit for the survey. Now, the interesting thing to come out of this survey was that the that the mortgage company actually came back and said, yep, survey is all, all fine, but did you know you're not charging enough rent? <laughs> and this was actually a, a specific point they, they raised uh, as part of the, the mortgage application process. I was like, well, yes, I know it's a bit below market rent, but that's because the tenants have been there for a few years. And while we have increased the rent, we've only increased it a little bit and, and rents have, have gone up quite a lot. So, so yeah, it's, it's quite interesting that the that the surveyor actually particularly pointed out that the rent was, I don't know, £200 a month or something below what they thought it should be, and that the mortgage company then came back and commented on that to, a, to, to me or to the broker and then mm. to me. But there you go. Surveyors and mortgage companies trying to push up rents. Yeah, it's, it is interesting, isn't it, that they, that they do that? And, yeah, I'm not, not sure. I, I think if they felt it impacted your ability to you know support the mortgage but you know in, in that scenario it just feels like uh oh you know why don't you bump your rates i was like well that's kind of like if, if i've passed all of my stress tests and and i'm comfortable it's probably probably my business my property business rather than yours you know at the end of the day but I, so i suppose someone thought they were doing someone a service somewhere along the line <laughs> yes yes i suppose so I mean, I am obviously being restricted in terms of the, the amount I can borrow because the rents are, are lower because of the stress testing and things. But I have accepted that. And that is, as you say, part of my property business and the way I've, I've decided to, to, to do it. So my question around this is they've sent me this form saying we can send you the extra money from the further borrowing. And they have said this offer is valid for six months uh, from whatever date it was. And a week or two ago now, but for a while. And they said, when would you like it? And and now I'm thinking, well, I don't need it right now. So should I say, well, I'll have it in five and a half months time so that I don't start paying for it until then? Then the other side of me thinks, well, what if something really unexpected happens? So they've said the offer is valid for six months, but what if they find that the int- the base rate goes up 5% or something in the next three months and they decide they just cannot possibly cope with sending this money to me. I, I think that's unlikely, but I know, Stuart, what, what do you think? Should I should I err on the side of collecting the money while I've got the chance, even though it's then going to sit in my bank account for a few months before I can do anything with it and, and effectively lose value? Or should I ask for it much further down the line so I'm not paying for it for longer, but but there's a little tiny risk that maybe something will go wrong. <laughs> I'm sure you can guess my uh, my response on this one, but for me, a bird in the hand is definitely worth two in the bush. And while everyone's ready to give you that money, I would I would take it 
I think you're right to to think that way, though. I think it's a, a very prudent approach. I guess my my view is is again of all of the hoops and everything that you've just been through. My concern is that there's always something that could come out of the woodwork, a, a small aberration somewhere, and and something has changed. Whereas once that money is transferred to you and in your account, it's much harder for them to to change. Not that I think they ever have or would, but I just. I think once you've been through it, better to have those funds. But you're right to be concerned about the fact that you're paying for them. But an interesting one and not one to scare tactic. But I mean, I've been looking at a couple of different mortgages for the purchase now. And the options we've had have changed a couple of times in in a matter of weeks. And in fact, only yesterday, we we had options of whatever the the rates were. There were HMO mortgages, 85%. But we had a two-year and a five-year. Actually, we were looking at the 80% because that was going to be cheaper. But then we said, okay, we'll go for the 85% because we're going to add value, so it's fine. And then I went back yesterday and said, actually, we'll go for the five-year. I got an email this morning, actually, saying that the five-year is no longer on the table, so it's got to be a two-year. So those options have just changed. And you know that, that product might have been around for a while. Obviously, I've just come in. But it just shows me that, the banks can change and withdraw, and we've seen that also recently, haven't we? In the, that they can just take and withdraw products. You know, as soon as there's interest rates, that that changes. So, my my personal approach is where it's possible, and everything's been all boxes have been ticked, and they're ready to give you the funds. I would take that before the world changes. But obviously, that's I'm a, I'm a lot more bullish about these things, and probably you know haven't done the maths on okay so what's the six month cost to me of paying for that if it's just sat in my account gaining 0.1 percent interest but that's that's the challenge yep yep exactly and i mean this is this is the problem i mean it's it's a reasonable chunk of money it's going to cost an interest I know, let, let's say for, for argument's sake about 200 quid a month and it's going to be a chunk of money sat in my bank account that is losing value to inflation and costing two hundred a month, plus the, the the tax implications of of that interest as well. It's yeah, I I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, I suspect I I will probably end up sort of plumping for something in the middle, <laughs> just just for sake of indecision. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, I, I'm not sure what in the middle is if because it's, it's either all or nothing, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I, I mean, I've got a window of six months or nearly six months to, to choose from. So maybe, yeah. maybe I'll go for sort of two or three months time or something. Yeah. Although having said that, if if I have that ooze funds before my current purchase completes, then I will use those funds as the, the deposit for that. I have other funds I can move around to, to do that that deposit and that purchase if, if needed, but it, will, it would at least save me the effort of moving those funds around. And, and they can they can stay in the the, the the savings accounts and ISA and what have you that they're they're in rather than pulling stuff out of that. So so maybe there's some benefit in in doing that. Well, it sounds like from that perspective, yes. And also the other element which I was just reflecting on is is of course given the, the current environment, which which we haven't really gotten to talk about today. I'm sure we will, but with everything that's going on, you know, the, the cooling of the market, the you know all of the pressures on, you know, personal economics. Because I'm deliberately trying not to say all the things that we're hearing about at the moment. Because I'm fed up of myself of hearing about 
<laughs> so save them for next time. Yeah, <laughs> something that sounds like inflation or you know, and all of that. And I think, well, we could be in a get heading into a phase where some cash in the bank wouldn't be a bad thing if you needed to move quickly. And but you've, you've still yeah. got you've still got the same threats because I've had this conversation with one of my clients, one of my sort of investor clients, which is he's managed to get a nice amount of funds into the bank but it's it's a bit like a hot potato because you worked hard to get those funds in the account but now given all of these economic challenges it's like well, i need to get this money out because you know it, it needs to be doing it needs to be working harder so it's yeah. it's a lovely challenge to have but it's still a it's still a challenge it is it is indeed a challenge and i think one that we should leave for this week and just before we we go though your your recent reading spree, Stuart. F- first of all, I was amazed that you managed to read so many books. So how many books did you read in, in how long? So six books in nine days. Okay, so, so just, just for, for comparison, I think that's more books than I have read in the last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably me too, to be fair. <laughs> okay, so so what, what was your favourite book for, from your recent reading? Well, I just want to clarify. So, so my children are a bit older, and they look after the youngest one now, which meant that for the first time in many, many years, we actually got time to read some books. But there is one proviso that my wife laid on me, which is, you know, you've got to read, just read some books for fun. Don't read personal development or business books. I managed to sneak in two business books. One was about uh, small business cash flow, strangely enough, and the other was a book called uh, Zero to One. Is about business, which was very interesting. But the, the book that I really enjoyed was Where the Crawdads Sing. And it was just a really good, well-written book. I think it was her her debut as a novelist. I can't remember the author's name, but uh, she writes unbelievably well. Uh, and it's just really interesting story, very emotional, actually brought up a lot of emotions. And uh, my wife also cried while she was reading it as well. So uh, I shed a tear, as I like to say, I got a bit of dust in my eye as I was reading it. But it, yeah, that was that was really good. And a couple of other, you know, by the Paul books, John Grisham, which wasn't so great. And another one called Blackwater. But uh, yeah, Where the Crawdads Sing, if anyone hasn't read it, is really, really good. Well, we'll, we'll certainly make sure there's there's links to, to some of those books in, in the show notes for anyone who's, who's curious. And I'm certainly going to be, uh, well, having a look for the audio book version, at least, <laughs> of Where the Crawdads Sing and see if I can... Uh, uh, put that on my list for, for when I'm out running next. There we go. A bonus for anyone that was actually listening to the end. First of all, congratulations. And there you go. I've got a couple of uh, little rec- book recommendations, non-business for a change. And if you have gotten value and if you're still here because you've got value, please do leave us a rating stroke review on your podcast player of choice. We're also publishing all of our episodes on YouTube. And if you've listened this far, you might not need it, but we're out there on YouTube. Uh, we're on Twitter at biz of property and you can also come find us at the business of property.com other than that we'll see you next week bye